Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you joined us today. And today I have the privilege of interviewing Reverend Paul Smith. Paul was pastor of Broadway Baptist Church down in Kansas City, 39th and Broadway. Right now, and I, 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 when I was a teenager, I used to go down to backwoods, mm. you know, because I was a big outdoorsman, and so I, that, that was right close to your church. And uh, so, as a teenager, I'd pass by. But then, uh, when I moved here in 1990 to start Vineyard Church, um, I would I was visiting churches all around because I wasn't doing a Sunday service yet, right? And I would pop in at Broadway in the early 90s because you guys did great worship. And I, I remember that you and Andy Cullen were popping around at vineyard conferences back in the early 90s. Right. I think you maybe had gone to more vineyard conferences than I had. And <laughs> um, and so anyway, I, I that's when I first came in and I would, you know, I'd read your stuff and we'd bump, bump into each other at Midwestern Library, you know, sometimes and. And then kind of, have you know, we, we weren't close friends, but just kind of tracked with you over your spiritual journey. And we've touched base a few times in there. And um, and so I, I you've been a long time, what, 50 years of ministry in Kansas City, right? 49 years at Broadway, right? Broadway. Yeah. So one of the longest tenured pastors in Kansas City. Yeah. I went almost 30 years at Vineyard and I. You know, even at 30, you end up being one of the longest tenured pastors, right? There's there's a lot of turnover and there's not many people that stick out one church for 30, 40, 50 years in America, you know? So thank you for all the ministry that you've done in Kansas City. You've been one of the uh, faith leaders of our community. Thank you. Yeah. So, Paul, we I want a lot of people listening won't know your story, probably, but uh, I would like to get into it a little bit, like um, at least at least give us a, you know, 15, 20 minute overview. Like, where were you born? Sure. sure. Uh, how did you how did this particular spiritual journey? How what kind of church did you grow up in? I got how did you how did you end up feeling called into ministry? How did you end up at Broadway Baptist? That kind of thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, I was uh, born and raised in St. Louis. I was a Southern Baptist before I was born. My <laughs> preg pregnant mother enrolled me in the nursery of her Southern Baptist church. So I started off pretty conservative. <laughs> yes. But it was, a, it was a moderate church. And uh, I, uh, I, I am forever grateful to it because, for it because it introduced me to Jesus, whom I find fascinating. And I, I remember when I was 12, I asked my uh, Sunday school teacher, I said, uh, how come all this stuff we read about in the Bible, how come none of it happens here? And uh, by stuff, I meant the mystical stuff. I didn't have a word for it then. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I think John, John Wimmer used to call it the stuff, too. Yeah, doing the stuff. I, yeah. That was one of his famous lines. That's right. So when do we get to do the stuff? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what I was asking when I was 12. <laughs> yeah. He said, I don't know. Go ask the preacher. So I went and asked him. And he said, well, I don't know either. I went to seminary, and they didn't help much either. <laughs> So, uh, but but I had this uh, I had this this um, inner uh, appetite or, or uh, longing for uh, a mystical reality, especially to know Jesus in some real way, rather than just reading about him. And to I was already a phenomenologist. I read the Bible for the phenomenon, not for the doctrines. Interesting. And uh, even at twelve. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's so interesting. And it, it is, yeah, because uh, I was I was interested in what people experienced. Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, I was, I was really religious. I was, I was the president of my high school Bible club throughout all four years of high school. Uh, I, I was, I carried my Bible on top of my books. I was the, I was the, played the violin in school orchestra. I was the concert master. And between those two things, that made me a real nerd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I you was, weren't an athlete at all. You no, no, okay. no. Just I a book, a, book nerd was, and a music nerd. Okay. I, yeah, I read voraciously back then, too, and uh, uh, so I, I, I was very active in my church, and uh, was uh, kind of, kind of at eighteen was sort of the leader of my youth group, and uh, and then I. Uh, Let's see. I, it, it, uh, I guess, I guess when I when I was nineteen, uh, a, a church, a local church in St. Louis, uh, asked me to be their uh, choir master organist. So that's that's one of the churches where the choir, the organist, organs in the middle, the choirs around you, and you play the organ with one hand and two feet and wave your hand at the organ. Yeah, <laughs> the choir. And uh, I, I did that, and, uh, and then uh, uh, um, uh, eventually, then went to seminary when I, I, I finished uh, Washington University. You went to Washington University. Yes. Did yeah. a bachelor's there. Yeah. Yeah. What did you I, major in? I had a full scholarship. Well, the smart kids in my senior year at high school went into engineering, so that's what I did. And second huh. year, I was crawling around a, 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 a tank at, and, uh, at Milan Crot Chemical Company on the top of it one day at a class. And I thought, what am I doing up here? And, and I don't like, this is not fun at all. So I changed my major, major psychology and dumped all that calculus and physics and stuff, which I found fascinating. And uh, uh, then when I finished up... Uh, 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 college, I heard uh, heard a radio commentator say, uh, "You should do when it comes to an occupation, you should do what you love to do." And I asked myself, "What do I love to do?" And and what as a 18 year old, what I love to do was see people uh, get along in their spiritual life. Hmm. I'm alive. Yeah. And uh, so um, that that was my, quote, call to the ministry, because I think everybody's called to the ministry. So mm-hmm. I don't let people call me reverend and uh, every, or the minister. And, and uh, so yeah. anyway, uh, uh, that's that's when I came to Kansas City, where I am now or where we are now. Yeah. Which and seminary did you go to? Midwestern Seminary. The Baptist okay. Seminary. Who yeah, was, was the president there when you went? Oh, I don't remember. His name. Was it what year did you start there? Uh, was it fifty-five? Oh wow! Uh, Millard uh, Millard Burquist was the president. Okay, okay. It was a long time ago. It was yeah, the yeah. LA controversies. Okay. Uh, the uh, yeah, uh, but uh, that was a uh, seminary was fun. I got to look at things I was interested in. Uh, but I still didn't find the uh, the mystical that I was looking for. Uh, and uh, when I uh, when what I year finished, did you go? What year did you go to Broadway Baptist? Uh, 1963. Was that right out of seminary? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, right out of seminary, and they they called me as an associate pastor. Okay. And, uh, and but soon the pastor left and I became the quote senior pastor. Right. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I I loved uh, working there. Uh, I, I, I my my belief is that most pastors give up their spiritual growth uh, and become cautious 
in order to keep their job at their church. They, they uh, don't allow themselves to explore spiritually because they'll lose their congregation. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a congregation that uh, I, if I learned something new, I would, uh, I would, uh, well, well, for instance, one of the, one of the first things I looked around and saw that all the deacons were men and we didn't ordain women. I thought there's something wrong with that. And so uh, I taught of that, about that, that we, the women are, are part of all this. And we started ordaining women and uh, began having women pastors. And uh, so that allowed me to stay at the church. Uh, I, I looked at uh, our, our worship language. It began to bother me that we, we only spoke of God in, in male terms and images. And uh, so I, uh, the first book I wrote was called, Is It Okay to Call God Mother? Considering the Feminine Face of God. And I wrote it for my congregation because I wanted them to change their minds about God. That, that it was okay for me to talk about God, her, and she, and mother. Yeah. And uh, I knew that would be a shock uh, if I just started doing that. Being a Baptist church, uh, I had I need I decided I needed to convince the congregation. So I taught about it for a year, and at the end they voted, and they voted to rewrite all of our hymns and um, use an inclusive or gender neutral language, including the Christmas hymns, which was a which was a brutal task. Uh, <laughs> interesting uh, yeah wow. and uh, so we we began having that in our in our worship service and everybody was fine with it so once again the church was willing to follow along with me that's so interesting I didn't need to go somewhere that's yeah that's so unusual it's so unusual right yeah so, because if i remember like when i first visited broadway in the early 90s you, you had a bunch of pamphlets on like charismatic kind of things, yep. uh, like speaking in tongues and yep. prophecy and this and that and the other. And so, I, you know, and I was starting a vineyard church and I was coming out of a sub, the Southern Baptist world. I went to Baylor and I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and then moved to Kansas City and started a vineyard. So I was thinking, oh, Paul's, you know, a vineyard guy that's Baptist, you know, and then. But then I remember when you went into the mother God stuff, um, I was like, huh, because I wasn't I, I wasn't, you know, I, I sure. thought, well, there's got to be a feminine side of God. He, he created male and female and all that kind of stuff, you know, but yes, she did. Yeah. yeah. And when and I was actually for women in ministry as well. Right. So so I was with you pretty much right there, you know. So but then you went from the mother you know, the feminine side of God to, yeah, you kept, you kept going and kept going and kept going. Kept going. Like you kept showing your congregation uh, new growth opportunities. How's that? <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. Uh, every two or three years, there was a major change and being uh, coming into our version of third wave charismatic uh, uh, practice was a part of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, that's when I visited Wimber conferences, and and that that was my first taste of. I saw people having mystical experiences. Right, right. That was terrific, and uh, that I I I I love that, and uh, except uh, I didn't have many myself. Uh, people would, I mean, people prayed for me a million times, and nothing ever happened because I drive with my brakes on. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, I, I brought it back to the church and and took uh, people with me to uh, hear Bob Mumford and Derek Prince and all those guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that that the church moved into that. We didn't vote on that. That just happened. And people's spiritual lives began deepening. And uh, our worship service, instead of uh, when you get in the church, sit still and be quiet, it was move around and make some noise. And uh, so with the congregation began, you know, we got an orchestra and clapping our hands. I love that music. I miss it greatly. Uh, so that was another another movement that we had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also uh, early on uh, uh, gave up believing in hell. Uh, Gehenna, the, the word that uh, trans is translated as hell in the Bible, 
was the name of the town garbage dump and outside of Jerusalem. And uh, it's, uh, you know, G Jesus said, where, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. And that was true uh, uh, for uh, uh, many centuries ago. It was where they did child sacrifice and it was now the town garbage dump. And he used that as a reference, uh, but he used it as a reference for people who mistreat the poor and the needy and the oppressed, the little ones, and never about what you believe or whether you followed him or not. So that Isn't was that the truth, though? Yeah, that's right. He, he was he was an early guy for social justice and for how we treat the oppressed and the poor. And it had nothing ever to do with your belief system or with following him, uh, whether you're a Christian or not. But we uh, we skipped that part. And the, I know, I know. Uh, uh, That's how on. I see it now, 100. percent But I, That's man, right. I was great. I was raised in that evangelical perspective. Right. You know, it's and, a toxic. Believe in hell is a toxic belief, because people become Christians not because they want to be, but because they're afraid not to be, and that is a, a really awful reason to fall in love with Jesus. And to become a Christian. Well, and just an image of God who would like, you know, torture somebody for all that's eternity. Right. It's just that's like, a, holy crap, you know, toxic, toxic image. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and pretty soon I, I realized that Jesus read the Bible differently than I was taught to. You're right. Uh, he uh, he ignored some parts. He embraced some parts and he rejected some parts. Yes. And, he was uh, a midrashic radical rabbi who that's right. had had subversive interpretations of Torah, dissonant interpretations of Torah, new interpretations of Torah, you know, and yes. left out all the other crap, right? <laughs> he left out the angry God stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rejected it because it was it's toxic. It was toxic then. Yes. Toxic today. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so that that's a that's that's a, that's a biggie to get rid of a. A judging God, a judging Jesus, and uh, any kind of eternal hell. I have a picture on my website of the town garbage dump that it was that is outside of Jerusalem. It's now a beautiful park. Uh, so much so, so I don't know what happened to all the fires, but they went out. <laughs> uh, so hell is all cleaned up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sticks is a garden now. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm mis mythical sticks as a garden now, right? That's anyway. right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, there there was another thing that the congregation went along. They were only too too happy to get rid of hell by that, <laughs> and uh, they That's... they went yeah they went along with me, and once again I I I would have not been able to be in a church that taught hellfire and brimstone, or that that had a plan of salvation about Jesus dying for your sins for to appease the wrathful God. So they changed uh, so I could keep stay there and keep keep working with them. And it was lovely. Yeah. Uh, just, can, was can I ask you a quick question on that yeah. real quick? Because, you know, I've thought about the, you know, like I, I, I agree with you 100 percent on, you know, God's a loving uh, it, for me. God is love, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, radical love and self-giving love. Um, you know, I've thought about this, this issue of like anger. Do, does love ever get angry? You know what? I, and, you know, if you're thinking about like, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too deep in this. I just, it, you know, like I've seen like, you know, like I remember one day a mother, her little kid was playing out on my street and the car went flying by in a 25 at about 50 and she just got so she almost ran the car down and <laughs> she was so angry. Right. Mother Why? Because, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it seems like there's some place for like, you know, like righteous anger, you know what I'm saying? Or, but it's not, it's not about self-righteousness. It's more about, it's more about the things that hurt us, you know, or things that hurt people, the things that destroy love and relationship. And, and the, and the anger has to be redemptive. And some. I don't know, do you, have you, I know you've thought about this a thousand times. Yeah. And yeah I think God gets sad when he, when sad when he, is a good, when she sees all that, she, and yeah. she's sad. 
and our heart is broken. And uh, uh, but I th I think God is uh, not a controlling God, so uh, love prohibits God from interfering with all that. And instead, God says, "Okay, you guys need to change. If you if you you want to get rid of oppressive hell and oppressive people and and." ecological damage and all other stuff mm -hmm. you got to do it i'll inspire you to do it but i'm not going to control evil in the world mm. to, to let you escape it uh, so i believe in the uncontrolling love of yeah god. maybe even a god that partners with us in some way oh totally yeah, totally. I yeah. Believe we're co-creators with co-creators yeah and god's part in the co-creation is to inspire and to motivate and to guide our part is to look at the mountain and not say, God, would you move that mountain? Our part is to look at the mountain and say, mountain, move. And that's, we get it done. Yeah. It's like people who say, oh, oh, God, make it rain. Oh, God, keep it, keep it from raining. And God says, well, you got, guys, stop messing up the, the earth and fouling your nest and it'll go back to normal. So that's, that's us. The co-creation is that God guides us, but God doesn't do the, we're the only physical hearts and minds and hands and feet of God in the world. So we have to do the work mm. of the creating. God does the inspiring and visioning for the yeah. creating. You know, I when I went through my big meltdown a few years ago, <laughs> and I questioned everything I'd ever believed, you know, and um, and then I tried to figure, you know, but, I, you know, I couldn't be an atheist, you know, even though I, yeah. Thought hard about it, <laughs> but, uh, but I wasn't, and I wasn't at heart. And, um, so then I tried to start thinking, well, okay, so what, what parts of God that I've believed in do I need to hang on to? And, you know, what parts should I, you know, should I dismiss? Right. And, um, and, you know, kind of what's interesting is I remember when I was 18 and 19 at Baylor, I was reading process theologians like Charles right. Hartshorn and, yeah, uh, you know, and, uh, a whitehead. And I, and I remember then thinking like, that's interesting, a God who involved evolves and it kind of did away with some of the, the classical Greek categories of perfection and immutability yeah. and, you know, omnipotence and omniscience and all that. And it was intriguing to me, but I would, I had just been saved kind of thing. And, you know, had kind of felt sure that I had had a really powerful experience. So I ended up kind of leaning more toward the guys like N.T. Wright or something like that, yeah. you know, who are who are pretty conservative, but really smart, you know, yes. Yes. <laughs> well thought they thought deeply about things. And so I ended up kind of gravitating that way. But now I'm revisiting. Our, I'm going back and rereading my heart sworn and my uh, whitehead, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. anyway, that, that's great. I, but, yeah. you know, that that their thoughts on God would kind of fit well with some of the things you just expressed. I, that's what made me think of that. Yes. And and you went through your deconstruction period, which is absolutely necessary. Uh, so good for you. And then you're reconstructing. Yeah. Right. Right. So so you so you took the church through all kinds of transitions. They stuck with you, which is a miraculous. Yes. <laughs> So you must have some great people. Surely, I know you probably lost a few and won a few and lost a few and won a few. Your congregation was ever evolving, just as you were ever evolving, right? Uh, yeah, we always lost some people. When we uh, started calling God mother, we had a few men left the church saying, nobody's going to tell my wife I'm not in charge at home. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the toughest thing, uh, was uh, when the when the gays uh, asked me, we had a don't ask, don't tell policy. Paul, they said, Paul, you've changed your mind about everything else in the Bible. Will you change your change your mind about us and 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 admit that God made us the way we are and loves us the way we are? And I said, okay, I will. And uh, so I did, and totally changed my mind. I realized I'd been totally wrong. Uh, the Bible does not say anything. It didn't even have a word for homosexuality. And the, the sin of Sodom was uh, oppressing the needy, the, the needy and the oppressed and the weak. Uh, so what's your conclusion on Romans 1? Uh, that's temple prostitution. 
Yeah. That's yeah. what I think too. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, uh, and, and there, there was no concept of, of, of orientation back then. So, so that's, uh, I mean, the, the Romans, uh, when, when uh, Jesus healed the Roman servant, the, the Roman uh, guard servant, uh, the word used there is the same word they used for the Romans uh, sexual servant. <laughs> so mm. Jesus, Jesus had, had a, a Roman soldier who was having sex with his servant, and mm-hmm. Jesus healed it and didn't say anything about the sex. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah. but anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, that was that that was the uh, the hardest, and um, uh, at that point, uh, there was a guy who he people would always come to the church and be enamored of me, and expect me to become their best friend and and pal around with them, and when I didn't have time to do that, they would get mad at me. So there was a guy that it had happened to, and he left the church. And then when we started talking about gay, the gay issue, uh, we had uh, Tony Campolo's wife to come and give a talk about pro-gay and some guy from St. Louis about anti-gay. We we discussed it for a year or two. Okay. And it was and it was really difficult. But this guy, this guy decided to join the church again and lead a movement to to fire me. Yeah. And he. Uh, and 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 he had a point, which was, after 49 years of changes every two or three years, people were tired of the changes because the changes mm-hmm. always, always, always came with some price mm-hmm. and some controversy. Right. And this was a big one. Yeah, people, yeah. people, it was a big one. So uh, it's interesting that Tony Campolo's wife was ahead of him on that issue. Right. Yes, he was. He was. <laughs> yeah, we had Tony as a speaker, but he, uh, yeah, he was, he was behind the curve right there. Uh-huh. So, uh, so eventually, uh, uh, the, the this guy and got a bunch of people together to pray for the church, and eventually uh, moved to uh, fire. We had a staff of eight pastors to fire me and three others. And uh, they almost fired us. There was that, that many people who were kind of tired of the discussion. Yeah. And uh, so uh, they left. All those people left the church. Yeah. So we were cut in half, and that was demoralizing. And uh, uh, so that was that was difficult. But it was interesting because at, that was about the same time that I, I, I readied them for the biggest change, which was they had a gay pastor. <laughs> right. And uh, when I uh, I came out to my wife, I said, I at age 60, with two kids and 33 years of marriage, and I said, I think I'm gay. Her response was, well, that's a relief. I think she <laughs> she knew a long time ago there was something wrong. I, yeah. you know, we didn't we didn't have two kids by a virgin birth, but it was close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, so, can I ask you a question about yeah, like, like because you know I've you know I was always welcoming to the LGBTQ community at my church and would even spend time listening to their stories gained a great amount of compassion, but was still kind of struggling with some of my conservative theology. Right. And uh, so, but uh, almost all the people that I've, and it's been, it's been a hundred now, you know, I mean, over 30, 40 years, but um, lots of interviews, but most, most everybody that I knew felt these, you know, the, the conf the confliction of their sexual identity at very very young ages were you that way as well when you think back were you would would you say your your orientation you you were aware of it at a young age or were you so indoctrinated in your conservative beliefs that you you didn't even pursue it you were, you had enough self discipline well i was more than not- indoctrinated i was i was emotionally repressed yeah. And so I, I led with my head. I was the smartest guy in high school and not with my heart. If I led with my heart, my heart would say, 
boy, those hot guys are really attractive. <laughs> I, I, I was not aware of those impulses. I had them at times and could look back and see. I kind of liked looking at certain guys. <laughs> uh, but I was so repressed. There's no way I could have could have okay. labeled that or been aware of that. So that that came as a, a, a well, well, a gradual uh, 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 awareness over a year's time. But I was, you know, almost 60. So that was really late. So I was really repressed. I also been in therapy for 20 years, but that hadn't uncovered that. Wow. I was successfully hiding. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of discipline, a lot of repression. Well, I'm, wow. I'm a very I'm a very disciplined person. Yeah, and I'm uh, I I live life uh, when I when I all I had was a head, I lived it very intellectually and smart. Yeah, and now I've got a heart and I'm trying to catch up. Right, and uh, <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's been been something. Uh, so anyway, uh, like I said, I said earlier the when I uh, when I uh, uh, came out to my wife. She said that the kids were fine, uh, the church was fine, and uh, and the other pastors were fine. That's when they wrote me a letter that said Paul's got a right to a private life, meaning uh, I was probably not going to be celibate and until I found a partner. Uh, so uh, and anyway. Uh, I, I love going to the gay bars. I never hung around sinners before in my life. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, they, they, you know Baptists, you know, don't aren't sinners because they 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 really work hard not being sinners. Uh, but when I started going to the gay bar, it was real sinners, and they were really fun. I, I just loved that. Did you hang out at Missy B's? Oh yeah, Missy <laughs> B's and uh, the, the, the Dixie Bell and. I met my partner at the Dixie Bell. Oh wow! And uh, so uh, that was that was a that was a wonderful time in my life. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, the the church uh, was when a church loses almost half its members, it's not going to recover. And uh, and my time was ending there, and uh, so I soon retired. And. Uh, uh, the church is now very small. It's about a dozen members, uh, and uh, they still meeting in that big, beautiful they, they facility. Sold, they uh, they sold the building. The building has now just been. In fact, I served, went to the planning commission to tell them I approved. Uh, a, a developer uh, has bought the building, and he's renovating it, both for church any church church services on Sunday morning, and for weddings. And he's made made the Sunday school rooms into hotel rooms, so that uh, brides and grooms and the guests can stay at the hotel at the church. Oh wow! So 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 it's, it's oh, a great, man. great way to preserve uh, to, to preserve a beautiful build, a historic building. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I love huh. that. But anyway, the uh, the the church is nearly dead. They and of course they they couldn't. <laughs> You know they they, well I won't say anything bad about, <laughs> but they they reverted to spelling God with two O's, and uh, and they traded in mysticism for social justice. So good okay. for them for that. Yeah. Uh, but I think we need both, uh, because we don't know we don't know the the right thing to do unless we're mystics, and then mm. God says do it do it here and do it this way, and then our social action has great uh, great power and impact port. Hmm. So anyway, that's that was uh, sad to see. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do then. We're nearing the end. OK. All right. Uh, so I uh, I uh, wandered around for a, a few years and then I, I a guy called me up, a 35 year old guy who uh, uh, had just moved back to Kansas City. He was a, a leader starting various groups and so on. And we had lunch, and we were soulmates. Just there was instant connection. He's a straight guy, married, got two kids, and uh, we just—I've never, never been able to be with anybody that I had such a soulmate connection. 
and we uh, we meet uh, every week. We've been meeting every week for four four years. We t- talk for an hour and a half, and then we meditate for a half hour, and have these incredible mystical experiences together. And uh, out of that relationship came what I'm doing now, which is the Integral Christian Network. Uh, we decided we loved what we had so much. We we decided to offer it. We 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 thought it'd be great to have a community of people who are have, experiencing what we're experiencing. Yeah, and so that's that's what we're doing now. Yeah. So let me let because uh, I want to get to a couple of things before we run out of time. Yeah. But I wanted to show the audience first of all. Um, I've read this your book called Integral Christianity, and I, I want to ask you about a couple of things in in this yeah. book. Um, and then um, the second book that I read of yours is, uh, Is Your God Big Enough, Close Enough, You Enough? And and also so fascinating, Richard Rohr, uh, one of the guys that's been one of my favorites the last three years, and Ken Wilber. And uh, Ken, I, you know, I read Religion of Tomorrow. Oh, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But uh, what's interesting, Paul, is you might not remember this, but um, I would guess maybe oh, six or seven years ago, you called you called me and I was pastoring Vineyard. And I think at the time your daughter and granddaughter were going to my church. I, I don't, did you remember? Did she? I, I didn't know. I didn't remember it was your church. Yeah. They went to church. So you must but, have been very attractive. Well, at any rate, but you had called you called me and you and Andy wanted to have lunch with me. And you were kind of interviewing me as a vineyard pastor and trying, you know, you're you're trying to, you know, talk about all the different streams of Christianity. And I think you you summarized my story with orthodoxy with grace and gifts or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, right. Yeah. And we. Yeah. And then, um, but I remember I asked you about, you know, meeting uh, Ivan, your partner. Yeah. And I asked you about how you fell in love and all this kind of stuff. And I think you told me at the time that I was like one of the first like evangelical pastors that asked you about your love story. <laughs> That's right. You were a rare bird. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting, but, um, any rate, I remember at that meeting, this was seven years ago, you encouraged me to look into Ken Wilbur. And I did, but I just don't think I was quite ready for him yet, you know? And then, but now I, uh, with all that I've gone through, uh, he's been fascinating to, to read and stuff. So, uh, I wanted to say that because, um, now I have read some Ken Wilbur and talk about, uh, how Ken had influenced uh, the writing of integral Christianity. Maybe give us just a couple of sure. minutes on that. Yeah, I found that uh, it was easy for me to translate Ken into Christian, the Christian faith, the Christian path. And I thought one of the most spectacular understandings he came up with what he calls the one, two, three of spirit, which is the three faces of spirit, uh, which is uh, uh, the perspective of uh, of, uh, of impersonal, of personal, and of intersubjective. And that just, when I translated that to God, it's like, oh my, oh my God. Uh, this, that's what I've been looking for all my life. I traded in the classical trinity, which is very limiting, for the three faces of the Spirit, which is the infinite face of God beyond us. That's Moses and the, the uh, I am. Paul saying, in whom we live and move and have our being, the infinite face of God beside us, which is Jesus and other presences of God, including what uh, what uh, Thomas Burton calls our four-footed saints, animals, and others, and spiritual beings. And uh, then the inner face of God uh, being us, which is our own divinity, which the Eastern Orthodox Church likes the idea of deification and of course evangelicals think we're really heretics to think that we would be uh, when jesus said you're gods to the to the to the pharisees uh i think he meant it 
uh, and of course he owned he owned his divinity, and set the model for his light, saying we're the light of the world too for us to own our uh, our divinity. So that mm-hmm. that that has been a, a, uh, just a marvelous. Well, I wrote those two books about it. Right. <laughs> and that so impressed me uh, how that takes a very limiting idea of Trinity, which is male oriented, very closed, and opens it up to a God who's big enough, who's who's close enough, and who's us enough. Mm-hmm. Just, I think it's it's transformative. Yeah. I I really liked the way you you express that. I think the hardest one, you know, me being evangelical for, you know, a good portion yeah. of my life is the, is the you enough one, right? That's sure. the one that, that, uh, you know, evangelicals and even, I think even monotheists in general would have, uh, maybe the hardest struggle with, right. I thought about, I did a paper, I was working on a second doctorate in the Hebrew Bible and I wrote a, I did a really in-depth, uh, exegesis of just the image of God in Genesis, you know, 1, 27, 28. And I, I did a, you know, I checked out all of the ancient Near Eastern uses of that, that term, the, both those terms, the, you know, the image and likeness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's classically used for the Kings. Um, and they were the, you know, the divine image yeah. of the God that they worshiped and, you know, uh, it was an elitist term in almost every place I found it in all of the ancient Near East, except I found one sp- spot in the Egyptian stuff that used the image of God in a democratic way. But then this passage in Hebrews one is like really the premier use of the image of God democratically, yep. not just for Kings, but for everybody that's right. For male and female. Right. And so um, in some sense, it is the divinity of humanity. Yeah. And um, and it's not elitist. No. Um, and, you know, I remember I used to say, you know, God's God and you're not, you know, that little thing. Yeah. But I, I've kind of even rethought about that. It's like even even if you see the divinity of humanity it's not like I express, uh, well, and you might disagree with me and feel free to, but it's, it's not like I'm the full expression of all that is divine, but I certainly am an aspect of it or a, or a a spark of it or a, a, and, and can be interconnected to it. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You know, three phases helps that out. Yeah. But, uh, that the we're 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 not the infinite God, yeah, uh, who's, right. who's awesome, although although um, Thomas Bentley Hart, who's a who's a Eastern Orthodox theologian, his new book is called "You You Are Gods." Uh, he, he takes five hundred pages and says again and again, "No, we really are infinite infinite beings on the inside." Well, and I think in one of your books you pointed out how Lewis. C.S. Lewis kind of flirted with that a little yes, bit, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that <clears> all balances out when when we have a relationship with Jesus, whom we see as 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 our model and our guide. So there, I, there, and you don't you don't own your own divinity by being egotistical, right? Chases it away, <laughs> and it's only by losing your ego you get in touch with your true self, which is your divine self. So. Uh, there's not yeah. going to be egotistical, godlike people running around. Right. That are truly mystically owning their divinity. And that what you just said, I really like that. And how does that maybe like I this is going to be maybe too big of a question, but how does that tie into that statement that you just made about the, your true self and losing your ego then to yeah. find your and discover your true self? It ties into a little bit about spiral dynamics, which you bring in your book, and it yeah. brings in a little bit of the shadow work, too, that yeah. you mentioned in your book. Can you comment on spiral dynamics and shadow work briefly? 
because we're running out of time. But uh, and then I want to get to your meditation stuff so you can kind of frame it up a little bit. Biodynamics is 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 a good system. Uh, I think it leaves out the mystical that Ken uh, majors in. And uh, so um, that's that's I, I, I favor. I favor the integral system of, of stages of evolution, and uh, but spiral dynamics is is offered uh, offered to a lot of people, and that's that's fine. Say again, what do you prefer? I, I prefer the uh, integral uh, uh, idea of uh, the stages of growth, uh, the uh, archaic, well, also Gebser's deal. Okay, yeah, yeah. Archaic traditional warrior. Uh, traditional, modern, postmodern, integral. Those, I think those, those, uh, those are. Uh, but Steve McIntosh's. That's Steve McIntosh's framing too. I think that's a right. A more that's technical. who you reference. I, I'm looking at your little the diagram yeah. right here. Yeah. That's that's in the book here. Yeah. yeah, got that from him. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And then how to? What about the shadow work? Because you were a big inner healing fan. Yeah. And then you read. Um, Wilbur on shadow work. How how do you see those two related or 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 different or? Well, inner healing is a way to deal with our shadow, uh, and uh, I uh, I r- ran around with uh, 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 Ruth Stapleton, uh, who's uh, was President Carter's sister, who who fostered inner healing uh, globally, and uh, and didn't you know Francis McNutt too? Oh yeah. Yeah, this was a good friend. We had him at the church many times. Yeah. And he was and, such a beautiful spirit, you know, he was he was wonderful. Yeah. I, we uh, Wimber was really influenced by him as well. Yeah. 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 He was a, he was a, a, a great guy. And uh, uh, we we did monthly healing services at the, the church. And uh, we uh, I would pray for people and most of them would rest in the spirit. The same thing that happened when Francis would pray. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I never did myself because <laughs> I, I'm so unspontaneous. <laughs> uh, but but the shadow work is is important. Therapy can help take care of that. The the three two one practice of uh, two two chair work is what I did in therapy, where you 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 put whoever you're mad at in the chair, you talk to them. You describe them, you talk to them, and then you become them. And then in becoming them, you realize you're talking to yourself, your own mm-hmm. shadow. And uh, we, we uh, uh, that's, that's a very important thing. Uh, and in addition, the golden shadow is very important. We repress not only our dark side, we repress our golden side. And uh, so uh, one of the primary things we do in integral prayer in our WeSpace groups is we move into the, the altered state of consciousness in our prayer times, and then we we reflect to one another what charismatics would call prophecy, only it's an integral version, and we see people's golden shadow. We see how they shine. We tell them that, they don't believe it, but you hear it often enough, you begin to be transformed by it. Hmm. It's a very powerful way of dealing with golden shadow. And we have a lot of therapists that deal with uh, the the uh, shadow work and that's an important thing yeah so let's let's uh just the rest we got a, you know a few minutes left here let's let's talk about what you're because i remember when we talked last you described to me what you're doing with the meditation yeah. style that you've adopted maybe describe that to us and the work that you're doing with like if people are interested how would they connect with uh, what you're doing online, yeah, they, how would they, they where would they go? go and They'd go to uh, integralchristiannetwork.org. Integralchristiannetwork.org. And they'll okay. get it all there. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, of course, every, everything we do is in reaction to something else. So I, I looked at the meditation systems, contemplative prayer, all it. They all, all were very head-oriented. They were top-heavy. And uh, some of them would move to heart space. But uh, uh, so I, I, I researched what it would look like to have a meditation system that involved the head, but also involved the heart, involved the gut, or in Japanese uh, terminology, the heart, head, 
heart and hara, and also the feet in grounding. And uh, I found uh, lots and lots of resources there, and I put them all together in what we call whole body mystical awakening. And in our meditative practice, we uh, help people begin by breathing, and then we help them move down from their head to their heart space. And people, when people move into the heart space, they tap into love uh, that they didn't know was there. And uh, when you're in your heart space and you're feeling love, that's the way God feels in our heart, because God's love and the in, the interface of God feels like love. So it's it's a it's a transforming experience to move to your heart space. We started a new group last night, and uh, when people move into their heart space, they just started crying. Uh, they discovered all this love that's in them. Everybody has it, even if it's all bent out of shape. Okay. And uh, then we help people move into their gut, which we call spiritual womb, because everybody's got a womb, spiritual womb, whether you got a physical one or not, which is the, the, the part of us that's creative, that's a part of our divine identity, and it's a, a, a part of spiritual knowing that when you when you put your awareness there, you become aware of things that you weren't aware of before. And then we emphasize grounding, which means you, you get yourself, your feet grounded, you see yourself connected to the earth, to the whole cosmos. It's what uh, uh, um, um, hmm, the cosmotheandric vision. Uh, Ramon, Ramon Panikar, who's one of my favorite uh, theologians, calls the, that the, 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 there's the human, the, the, the divine, and the material reality. All three of those realities are part of our spiritual experience. And so we experience them when we move into head, heart, gut, and feet. And you spend 20 minutes doing that, and people end up in a different state of awareness. Uh, they are seeing things they hadn't seen before. We call it spiritual knowing. Uh, they they uh, are uh, have an awareness and they they're, they're changed and people do that uh, every day or with their we space groups uh, and other practices. I've been doing it for four years and it still hasn't I still haven't plumbed the depths of it. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there there we've recorded our meditation practices. You can do a meditation with listening to me or Luke or other people on our website. Okay. So, um, so I'm very much a novice at this. I've been in a, uh, a meditation, you know, like an in-person meditation group for the last year and a half or so, you know, we did it on zoom for a while and then we got out of zoom mode, but, uh, um, and the, the gal that, uh, does my meditation group trained with, uh, Sarah Brock and Jack Cornfield. Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing some training with them now as well, but, um, I, so I'm a novice at all this stuff, but, uh, the, uh, the, in Reiki, you have these, like these chakras they call, yeah. or these energy centers and it's, it's head and it's the throat, the heart, the gut, we approximate the, them. Yeah. the womb or the, you know, and there are then many, many, many systems for uh, chakras. Okay. We approximate them and, and get them into four. You get them. So you're kind of, Drawing off of that yeah, tradition yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, and but they, have, they have a physical location that is so pronounced, anybody can get in touch with it. It doesn't take a lot of training. Yeah. So, so, and why, why do you tell me again, <laughs> if you said it already, tell me again a different way, maybe, but um, why, why are those you've, you've, you, you have four of those energy centers. Yeah. Why is that so important in the meditation process? Okay, there's a uh, California Institute of Integral Studies uh, in their graduate school program uh, has their uh, graduate students lay on the floor and they have an instructor touch them in these four centers. And they call them centers of spiritual knowing. And it's very transformative. And we've adopted their their practice and their research on that. A lot of research papers go on that, and uh, it it um, it. I'm a phenomenologist, and uh, so when people get in touch with the phenomenon that occurs when you 
you center in your heart space, your gut space, your feet space, and then your heart, your head space. If you if you do the first, the other three, then you move to your head. Your head is usually then very still and quiet. You don't have to work at at getting it quiet, mm. and then you can move from there out, on out to transcendence if you want to. Mm. And we found that the that the average person can begin a meditation practice right right off the bat without having to go through the angst of getting quiet and not having a busy mind and all that other stuff. Mm. It's a very practical way of doing it, which has now research that uh, that shows that. Mm. And that's the California Institute in- of, Sp- of Integral Studies. California Institute of Integral Studies. Is that something that Wilbur started or is that something? Uh, Integral started it. Uh, uh, Jorge Ferrar, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Only only because you referred him to me in the participatory turn and stuff like that. It's a very academic book, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, He he was the professor that started this this graduate program. He's no longer there, but uh, it's, it's still going on. Yeah. I have a very busy mind. I think that's why I was an insomniac for 30 yeah, years. Um, yeah. And uh, probably an overactive amygdala. And so that's why And the science behind meditation is so strong, right? Yes. Like right. it's, it's good for you. <laughs> it changes your, your brain and changes your brain waves. Yeah. I was just talking to a guy um, recently that, um, is doing his psychology degree and he's working on biofeedback yeah. and, med- and meditation. And he said, there's even a new little thing you can get and put on your head and ties in with an app on your phone. And I've got it. Th- what's Muse. it called? Called Muse. Muse. That's what he told me. And, and it Does it help? Oh, well, it instantly reads whether your, your heart is connecting with your head or not. And when your heart connects with your head, you move into coherence and it's it, that's when you're in your heart space. So, so I should it, get that. Oh, absolutely. It, I, it, I'll find out. I've I'm, I've been missing my heart space for years. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's where you want to start because that that's the way to get out of your head. Get into okay. your heart, which is full. Of, you have a big heart. It's a full of wonderful feelings. And then get into your gut and get into your feet. And then when you go to your head, it'll be all quiet. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Muse. M-U-S-E. Yeah. Was yeah. that de- who developed that? Do you know? No, I don't know. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Well, this is kind of a whole new world for me, Paul. <laughs> well, you're you're so, good at new worlds. You've been doing new worlds for a long time. Uh, I've been trying, you know. <laughs> but at any rate, well, that's that's uh that's wonderful. I'm so thankful that you took time out of your schedule to uh hang out and talk my pleasure it's been fun you're a great interviewer well that was that was really fun i've been wanting to do this for a while and i finally uh got 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 an invite to you so um but do you uh do you still see andy cullen every now and then or talk or occasionally a little bit email or talk yeah he's he's uh he's busy being retired Okay. So our, our our days of traveling to California for a Wimber conference. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say if you if you bumped into him, tell him I said hello because I've always I've always I loved Andy so much. He's yeah. He's he's a good good man. Great guy. Well, uh, one of these days I got to meet Ivan. Yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. He he does not. When we first got together, I said, did you want to meditate with me? He lasted two minutes. So he, he, he doesn't do all that, but he's, he loves Jesus and he, he has his spirituality and he sort of tries to keep up with mine. I, yeah. I don't mean that in a superior way, yeah, but yeah. it's just not his thing. How are your grandkids doing? Uh, they are both dead. Oh, excuse oh, no. me, my kids are dead. My oh. daughter died six years ago of colon cancer, and my son died four years ago of alcohol poisoning. But uh. my, I have three grandkids, and they're great. And uh, my granddaughter, Dolby, who came with her mom to your church, mm-hmm. she's, she's just a joy. We, we spent a lot of time together. How old is she? She's 22 now. Yeah. 
How, how old are your other grandkids? Uh, 18 and 19. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a blessing. Yeah, they are. That's a blessing. Well, again, thank you so much for doing our interview. Uh, thank you as well for all the ministry that you have done in Kansas city through all, through all these years. And, uh, thanks for, for being kind to me through these last uh, few years that I've gone through. I appreciate it. Well, I think you're refreshing and wonderful. And what you're doing now is, uh, is a, is a wonderful ministry. May it prosper and, uh, and bless you. It needs to bless you too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks so much. Thanks everybody for joining us at spirituality adventures and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.